Thank you, praise team. I get emotional hearing that song. I, it's one of the songs that we used to sing in Costa Rica, in Spanish, of course. And to be honest, I didn't know that there were words in English to that song. So it's kind of cool to sing it in English, too. What a what great theology to that song, isn't there? I know that God loves me. And we, we, we know that. And then to see that the veil was torn because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's why we're here today. Amen? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we could be here today. And it's because of what Christ did on that cross that we can be here today. Celebrating the eternal life that you've given to us. Lord, as we begin a new, a new series for the summer, Lord, I pray that it would be about transformation for us. I pray that we would see this summer, we'd see some pass from death to life. And we'd also see some of those who have already accepted you as their Savior to, to be transformed more and more into the image of your Son so that we can reflect the same message that we just sang about to the world around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 19, we are starting a new sermon series, and we're going to call it Fixer Upper, right? Now, when you think of Fixer Upper, there, there's a TV show on, on, uh, called Fixer Upper, and the idea behind it is they take an, an old house, a, a, a junky house or a house that has been in disrepair for a long period of time, and then they come in and they fix up the house and, and so that it becomes a really nice house by the end. And it's all about transformation, right? Well, did you know that there are a lot of fixer-up stories in the scriptures as well? Now, not so much about fixing up houses, but about fixing up people. And we see how God can take a person who is damaged in, in, in all of their sin and, and, and turn them into something and transform them into something great. And, and we see this all through scripture. And the Bible is full of these transformation stories. And spiritually, let's admit it, we are all fixer-uppers. Right? I mean, there is not a single person in here that God said, I am going to, to make sure that this person accepts me because I need that person in my kingdom, right? I'm sorry to burst any bubbles, but that's not what he said about anyone here. But what he does do is he says, I love this person in spite of their sin, in spite of their brokenness, in spite of all of these things. And because of that, he transforms us and all the glory goes to him where it, des- where it deserves to be. Amen? And God does ama- amazing things. And so today, if you turn to Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at Zacchaeus. Right? And, and uh, for the, our first fixer-upper for the, for the summer, we'll walk through several of these stories. But for our first fixer-upper, we're going to look at a story that you may not have heard since you were a kid in Sunday school. Right? How many of you remember studying the story or hearing the story of Zacchaeus when you were a kid, right? And you sang the song about it, right? How many of you remember the song? Wow, let's sing it this morning then. No, just kidding, I won't do that to you. And many of you know I'm not a good song leader anyway, but, um, but yeah, you know the words, right? Zacchaeus was, uh, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, and as the Savior passed that day, he looked up in tree for I'm going to your house today. Very good. Give yourselves a hand. You guys quoted that very well. And ironically, it's one of those children's songs that, that I, I listen to and I say, no, it's pretty biblically accurate, 
right? I mean, it's not like, you know, we three kings of Orient are, where there weren't three, there weren't kings, and they weren't from the Orient, but we sing it every Christmas anyway, right? Um, it's, it's actually a song where it actually fits scripture, and I like that. You know, if, if I had to knock the song for anything, I'd say it gives the impression that maybe Zacchaeus was Irish. I mean, because where else do you hear of a short-statured man being called a wee little man? <laughs> you know, I just get that image when I sing the song that for breakfast, whatever he ate for breakfast was magically delicious, right? And I, and, you know, but it's, it's a great song. I'm glad we teach it to our kids. Um, and it's really a short passage in Scripture. So let's begin today by reading the entire passage. We'll, we'll do kind of a flyover view of the story. And then we'll kind of land the, the, the pontoon plane, so to speak, and we'll explore a little bit on foot uh, as we go there. But let's start by reading the whole story. So uh, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. We read this. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to, uh, to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down, and, re- and he received him joyfully. When he saw it, that, or when they saw it, they all complained, saying he was go- uh, gone to be with a guest, or uh, with a man who was a sinner. Verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what? Jesus is the fixer-upper. He's the one who fixes all the fixer-uppers. Isn't he? And here we see this story of transformation. I love this story, as short as it is. Uh, but here we see this where Jesus is taking a fixer-upper. But it's not really of houses. When you think of fixer-uppers in the sense of houses, you see that, uh, a junky house like this, and that's the before picture, and then you always have the, the after picture, right, of, of this glorious thing. That's really what we get here today, but it's not the story of a house. It's the story of a person and the transformation that has taken place in the life of a person. And so what we're going to see, we're going to see this before image of what, what Zacchaeus was like beforehand. And then we're going to see this divine transformation that takes place. And we're going to be able to look at the after picture of, of Zacchaeus. And we can compare the two and say, wow, what a divine transformation that took place in this man's life. So with that in mind, let's begin uh, with, the, uh, with, the, with the before. So that'll be the outline. But, Point one, before, point two, divine transformation, point three, after. And that will actually be the, uh, uh, the outline for, for multiple messages this summer. So you can save yourselves a lot of time by going ahead and doing, doing that. But it will be different with each story. So let's begin by walking through the passage now and making some observations. So let's look back at verse, uh, verse one. Uh, we, re- we read, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Just to give a little information on Jericho, this is not the original Jericho that we find in the book of, of, uh, of Joshua. 
Uh, that city has never been rebuilt to this day. The walls are still down, just as the scripture said it would happen. So they rebuilt a second Jericho. So Jesus is passing through this second city of Jericho. He goes on to say, Now behold, there was a man whose name was Zacchaeus. find that interesting that his name was Zacchaeus because the word Zacchaeus means righteous one. But the, con the condition in which we find Zacchaeus at the, be the be at the beginning of the story is not one that expresses a lot of righteousness. Um, and so in contrast to his name, we read that he is a chief tax collector. Now how many of you, when you think of the word tax man or tax collector, in your mind you have positive, positive feelings going through yourself right now? Right? Usually, when you think of someone being a tax man or, or, or a tax collector, it's, it's something negative, right? Anyone else with me on that? Just not willing to raise your hands, right? Okay, got it. Um, and so, of course, no one really likes to be taxed. No one likes the tax uh, collectors. But actually, during that time, the tax collectors were some of the most corrupt people in, this, in society. And they were known for being corrupt. And in fact, they didn't make a huge, a, a huge salary by nature, a, a typical tax collector, but they made a lot of money. So you say, how does that work? It's not so much in the salary, but in their job. It was designed in such a way that the tax collectors would actually uh, extract from the people more money than what was owed to the government, and so they would, they would skim off the top, so to speak, right? Now... That's a tax collector. That's not exactly what Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. It's a little bit different. In fact, the, the Greek word is architelonis. So you've got the telonis being a tax collector, architelonis, which is, means the, the ruler of them, or it's the same where we get the word architect, right? So it's the person who is above all of that, and he actually designs some of the system. So we know that the system was corrupt, and here he is one of the actual designers of that corrupt system. Does that make sense? So he's an uppity up in, in the political world at this point, and he, he makes a lot of money. And, and so we, we look at this, and because of what we know about society, because we know of what's going on, uh, there are a couple of things that we know about him already. In fact, when we look at this, uh, the before picture, I'd say the first thing we learn about him is that he was corrupt. He was corrupt. Why? Because he was a chief tax collector. He was in charge of a system that was stealing money from people. And he knew about it. In fact, he didn't just know about it. He helped design it. So this is Zacchaeus. That's the condition in which we find him, right? He was, he was corrupt. Not only was he corrupt, look at how the verse ends. It says, now behold, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, by the way, if you read the book of Luke from start to finish, you'll see that, that Luke has very little good to say about the rich in his culture, in his time. Almost everything you hear about the, the rich is negative. Actually, what you find about almost every tax collector that you find is a story of transformation in the book of Luke. It's pretty cool. And so... But what we find, the rich, it's not a very positive thing. Now, if you are corrupt and your, your method of making money is corruption, and then you add that to the, to the fact that you are not, you're rich, what does that imply about your corruption? You're pretty good at it, right? So you're, you're corrupt and you're, you're, you're good at it, and you're, you're, you're actually able to, uh, to extract even more money from people that, that you didn't earn or that you didn't deserve. And so not only would we say that he's corrupt, but I think we could also say and admit that he was greedy. He was about money. So far, let's be honest, I'm not liking this guy. 
Anyone else? And you know, I look at him kind of like I would look at a crooked politician. Right? And they're pretty easy to find these days, aren't they? A crooked politician. And you know, when I, I think of backroom deals, I think of skimming off the top, I think of, uh, you know, putting earmarks into bills, and, you know, you've seen all that. We see it happen even in our own country. Don't they? I, I, there are a lot of countries that are more corrupt. I'm blessing you. And uh, there are more countries that are corrupt than, or more corrupt than ours, right? And I think of these earmarks where people basically say, well, I'll vote for that if you do this special favor for me. And it always includes money, right? And we look at this and we say, how that corruption, we hate that corruption. And, and then you finally get the two parties saying, well, well, we'll pay for your corruption if you pay for ours. And it's horrible. But that's what we see all around us in the world today, this corruption and greediness. And what that does for a tax person in the, in, in the first century, that, what that does for a tax person is it makes them an outcast. I would say the third thing that we could, we could say when we, look at, when we look at who Zacchaeus was, so he was an outcast in society. People do not like the taxmen. People hated the taxmen. They, they hated it. In fact, there was an insult that was very popular during that time that they would use of anyone that was considered an outcast. And they would, they would say, you are no son of Abraham. Now, biologically, if you're a Jew, you are a descendant of Abraham. So they would, the idea is, we're all sons of Abraham. But even though you are biologically connected, even though you're part of the genealogical connection to Abraham, they're saying, you're not one of us. You're an outcast. You're no son of Abraham. Right? Imagine like a, if a, a father gets so upset with his, something that his son has done that he said, you are no longer my son. Well, biologically he is, but what is he saying? Saying, you are cast out of my family. You're not a part of my family anymore. And I can't even imagine a dad saying that. Right? I'm a proud dad who gets to have my son's open house today. I love it. But imagine it. That's what society, that's the kind of thing that they would say uh, to people, and oftentimes to tax men. They would say, you're no son of Abraham. And it would not surprise me if he even heard that multiple times that day, unsuccessfully, as he's trying to work his way through the crowd because he's interested in this Jesus. I mean, who is this man who, who can heal the sick, who can raise the dead, who can feed multitudes of people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread? Who is this guy? He's interested. He wants to see it. So he goes, he goes to see who this Jesus is, right? And, um, and multiple times, I'm sure, you know, as people say, no, you can't come to the front of the crowd. And, and, and that's the image that we get, this outcast. But in any case, you know, he was used to social rejection. And, uh, and so he looked for a solution, albeit uh, a, so, uh, a socially unacceptable one. Let's look at verse 4 together. And, uh, oh, excuse me, verse 3. I skipped verse 3. Um, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. You know, not only was he a social outcast because of his business and because of what he did, but here we get this image that he wanted to see who Jesus was. He can't make it through the crowd. But let me ask you something. If, we, if there was a crowd of people and we were standing because there was a parade or maybe someone important was coming to town and we were all excited to see this, this important person and, and, and we're all standing there and we saw someone who was short, who was really trying to see, what would you do? You'd scoot over, right? Maybe, hey, yeah, you can come up here. Why? Because they could come and, and stand right in front of you, and they're not blocking your view. I mean, how many of you would be willing to move out of the way so that someone could say, 
You would, right? If a person's part of the community, if a person's part of, a part of you. But here is a guy, there's this crowd of people, he can't see over them, he tries to fit his way through, and he can't get through the crowd. What does that tell you about the crowd? It tells you the crowd, oh, not Zacchaeus. We're not letting Zacchaeus through here. Right? We don't want him coming through here. And he can't see because he's short. Right? And, and by the way, you know, when, I, when I read the story, in, in spite of his corruption, and in spite of his greediness, there's a part of me where my heart goes out to him a little bit, and I, I do feel sorry for him, because sometimes when people uh, have a, some kind of disadvantage, whatever kind of disadvantage it might be in life, um, that can be hurtful, and, it can be, and the things that people say can be hurtful to them, right? And, and so I, my heart goes out to him a little bit here, and honestly, the justice side of me still says, but he's a corrupt politician, right? But that's where he's, that's where he's at at this point. Look at verse 4. Uh, we read this. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. So he gets this idea, okay, the crowd's following Jesus. So that's where, where Jesus is at. So I'm going to go ahead where he, where he's, where, from where Jesus is, find a tree, climb up the tree. And uh, now, this is not exactly a social, socially acceptable idea. I mean, imagine that. I mean, he's an uppity-up in the political world, and, uh, and he's going ahead, climbing up into a tree so that he can see somebody, right? Imagine if we had a parade here, and even if our own mayor, uh, you know, decided, oh, I'm going to run ahead because I can't get a good view, and he climbed up a tree so he could see, we'd all be like, uh, Mayor Kepley, what, what are you doing up there, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we would think it's a little bit strange. And if I didn't time see an adult climb a tree, we might think it's a little strange. Uh, I say that for Renee's sake, because I saw him climb a tree just the other day, right? And uh, No, but we, it's, it's not, it, it would be a little bit awkward. But you know what? At this point, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He just, he wants, to, he wants to see who this Jesus is. He's curious about who Jesus is. So he's got to be curious to do that. And then comes that pivotal moment in the story where everything changes. This pivotal moment, this, this section two, this divine transformation, where he has this encounter with Jesus, God in the flesh. Look at verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Wow. It's not a lot of words. Jesus was a master of that, wasn't he? Just say a few words. But they're so deep. So meaningful. And he gets right at to what, what's important. See, up to this point, really, Zacchaeus' role in the transformation is minimal, right? In fact, I think in this story is really kind of a microcosm of, of what salvation is really all about. And we see, because this is how all men come to Christ in many ways. We see, what was, what was his role to this point? Really, very minimal. All he, was, all he had to do was be curious and pursue that curiosity. That's all he did. I mean, we don't see him transforming himself. We see him just curious and seeking out an answer, right? And, and, uh, and so that's all he does. And then who initiates this transformation? It's Jesus. I mean, no one could say, you know, you know, praise me. You know, praise me, praise me. Jesus is lucky to have me, right? That's not how, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, that's not how the song goes. Because it's nothing I did. Who initiates salvation in any case? It's always Jesus. 
He died for you long before you ever knew, long ever before you were ever born. And before you were ever interested in transforming your life, He extended grace to you. Amen? That's what, it, that's what it's about. So that, that was Zacchaeus' role. Be curious and, and check it out. Go check it out. But now we begin to see God's role through Jesus because Jesus is God. And so let's look at, at, at the divine transformation and look at God's role in this. And there, there, there are three things that we see that Jesus did that transformed Zacchaeus completely. Number one, Jesus showed individual attention. Now remember... Jesus was being followed by a crowd of people, right? I mean, there are people everywhere. They're following him so much that people can't even get a good, a good view of him. He's being followed by a large crowd of people, and then he stops. He ignores the crowd. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. He looks up into the tree, and he says, says to Zacchaeus, and by the way, I'm sure a lot of other faces were looking at Zacchaeus with very different facial expressions than Jesus' facial, facial expression at this moment. And he says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name, hurry up, come on down, because I want to go to your house this day. Wow. Think about that. I mean, Zacchaeus, who am I? I'm sure he was thinking that Jesus would call me out by name and want to spend time with me. I mean, Jesus is a, for lack of friends right now. He's got a lot of people wanting to see him. They have a lot of people wanting to be around him. And he wants to be with me. I, mean, I, I don't know what it would be like to be walking around and just have a crowd of people that just follow you, right? I mean, like, oh, wow, it's David. I, I lie a little bit. I know, I know a little bit what that's like because... In my younger days, I went to the airport with a group of friends. To make a long story short, we were trying to kill some time, so we developed this little plan, right? By the way, kids, don't ever do this. <laughs> and we developed this little plan, and so I'm walking down, and then one of my friends comes up and says, Are you Dave Grave? Yeah, yeah. Would you give me an autograph? Sure. So I give, and while I'm saying, another person walks from the other way. Look, it's Dave Grave. He's giving autographs. So he comes over, and, and I, oh, so I, and I, so I'm signing these autographs for my friends, you know, just to kind of to get things going. And, and, uh, and next thing you know, I'm signing autographs for all sorts of people. I had no idea who they were. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm signing all these autographs because I'm, I'm sure they did it because what are they doing? They're following the crowd. So we had our, we created our own little crowd. We get that going. I'm signing these autographs. And I, and I was cracking up inside because I'm, I'm imagining the, these parents going home and telling them, hey, hey, guess what, kids? I got Dave Graves' autograph. Hoping they could clue them in on who this is. And they're saying, Who? So, so I only got a, a taste of what it's like to have the crowd around, the crowd following. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get emails for that one. <laughs> but here's the thing. Jesus was raising the dead. Jesus was healing the sick. Jesus was creating a feast out of very little food. Jesus was doing all of these things. And so he had a genuine crowd around him, and they were all interested in what he was doing. They were watching his every move. He knew that. He ignores them. And he shows individual attention to this Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to go stay with you at your house today. Wow. That's, that's a huge thing. And I think there's a point here, and the point is that God has a way of showing specialized attention to the hurting. You say, but Zacchaeus deserved this hurt. He was corrupt. He was greedy. Right? Yeah. But all the same, 
Jesus saw his hurt, and Jesus wanted to be with him. That's a story of salvation right there. Zacchaeus, he deserved it all, I'm sure. But Jesus ignored the crowds, focused in on him, the tax collector, the outcast, the wee little man, and showed him something special. You know what else Jesus showed? It's, uh, let's skip ahead to verse 7. We'll read that and, and we'll see what else Jesus showed. But when they saw it, talking about the crowd, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. That tells us, too, not only did he show individual attention to him, but he showed disregard for cultural taboos. See, it was cultural taboo for a person to go have dinner with someone who was considered a sinner. By the way, if they really understood what the word sinner meant, that would mean that Jesus could never eat dinner with anybody. So what this teaches is that the crowd doesn't get it. They still think it has something to do with deserving to be in the presence of Jesus. And the moment you think that you have to deserve to be in the presence of Jesus, you don't get it. Because none of us deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. We're not the crowd in this story. We're, we're the Zacchaeus of the story, right? And, 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 and so Jesus was willing to, to forego all of that because in that culture, if you had dinner with someone, that was like your admittance to compliance with whatever that person was doing wrong. In other words, Jesus was, was saying publicly in front of the crowds, I'm willing to associate myself with this tax collector. They're, wow, how can that be? And they're complaining, Jesus can't do that. He's a sinner. He can eat with me. That's what they're all thinking. But he can't eat with him. He's the outcast. He's the person that they, were, they, were, they, were, they would spit on and push aside and not let him into the crowds. And Jesus didn't care. He didn't care at all. He loved Zacchaeus and was willing to accept any criticism that the culture around him was willing to throw at him. Why? Just to spend time with Zacchaeus. To show him that he's loved in spite of his sin. Isn't that cool? You know, the bottom line is, Jesus showed genuine love to Zacchaeus. That's the bottom line. Jesus showed genuine love to him. A couple of things I want to point out in the, in the, the verse that we just read. In uh, verse 5, he looked up to him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. What does that mean? Hurry up. What does that expose about the, the, the feelings of Jesus at the time? He's saying, I'm excited about this. Hurry up. I want to spend time with you. Right? But wait a minute. You've got a whole crowd of people that, 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 that want your attention. I don't care about that. I want you right now. I want to spend time with you right now. Let's hurry. Notice also what he says a little further in the verse. He says, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. He could have said, I am willing to stay at your house. Because that, that would make it sound like, yeah, I'm up here and you're down here, but I'm willing to come to your house. That's not what Jesus said. I must come to your house. I want to be at your house. I, I've got to get up. I've got to come to your house today. It's a strong word. What does that mean? Jesus loved him. Jesus showed real love to him. How did Zacchaeus respond to all this? Let's look at verse 6. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. How did he respond? He received him joyfully. This right here completes the microcosm of what salvation is all about. Our role is simple. We're curious and we seek. 
Bible says if we seek. In fact, not only does it say if you seek, you will find. The Bible also says if you seek, you will be found by him. You seek, God comes in and he shows you genuine love. All we have to do is receive it joyfully like Zacchaeus did, right? Can you earn it? No. You know, I, I, I think of people who say, well, I don't want to receive Jesus into my home because my home's kind of messy. I mean, if I receive Jesus into my home, he's going to see the mess that I am. He's going he's to see how, what a sinner I am. He's going to see all of those things. I don't know if I want to receive Jesus into my home. That's going to be an embarrassing thing to see. And I think we do that sometimes. And, and, and in reality, I think that's kind of like a person saying, I don't want to go to the hospital. I'm sick. They're going to see what kind of sicknesses I have. They might find out that my blood pressure is high. Or they might find out that, hey, so I'm not going to go to the hospital. No, you've got the order in reverse. You go to the hospital so that they can transform you, right? You accept and receive Jesus Christ so that you can allow him to transform you. If you think, well, I have to become better to be deserving of having the presence of Jesus into my home, into my life, then you miss the point. Because it's not about deserving. It's about the love of Christ that he has for you in spite of your sin. And that's what we see in this story. We, we see him receiving him joyfully into his, into his life. And that transformation is awesome. That brings us to the, to the last point. After, what do we see that's different about Zacchaeus from the moment of this point of transformation? Let's read verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So here we see this total transformation. And actually, what what I find interesting is that, that in each of the ways that he was negatively described in the first part of this narrative, we find that now there's a parallel transformation that takes place. So we saw that he was corrupt, we saw that he was greedy, we saw that he was an outcast, and now we're going to see some different things. So let's take the, the first one, where he was, he was corrupt. Now we see that he's actually gained something very different than corruption. He has gained integrity. He has gained integrity. Uh, look what the verse says. It says, If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. By the way, the way that the grammar is set up, he is not saying, this is what I already do. He's saying it's a, it's a type of tense that we don't quite have in English, but the, the idea that what, what he's saying here is, because of the transformation, this is the new me. This is what I am going to do from here and on into the future. And he's saying, if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Notice, from this point on, I am going to deal with people correctly, and if I ever catch myself not dealing with people correctly, I'm going to pay for it four times over. By the way, even uh, if you go to the Old Testament law, uh, there's a time where the, the Old Testament law says that if you cheat someone that you're to pay them, in one case double, and in another case four times over, depending on the case, it's like, I don't even care about which it is, I'm going to do, the, I'm going to do, the mo- I'm going to do most, and, the, and I'm going to pay back fourfold what the, what the script, what the as the scripture says, I'm going to be fourfold whatever I take from anybody from this point on because I want to make sure that I deal with people justly. Wow. This is not the same Zacchaeus that we read about in the first few verses of the text. It's, this is a total transformation. There's integrity there. 
to say, not only will I live by this, this standard of integrity, if I violate it, I've got a punishment in mind, and I'll, and I'll live up to that. That's integrity, is it not? Wow, what a change that we see in him. The, the second thing we saw that, that uh, in the before picture of him, it's that he was greedy. But that's not what we find in the after. In fact, let's go back to the verse 8. We find that he's generous. Look what it says. It says, I give, he says, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. How many of you would be willing today to give half of everything you own to the poor? No takers on that? I'm not getting anyone to come forward today on that. <laughs> Why? That's a, that's a lot. Now think about it. In the world, in the grand scheme of things, the, probably the poorest person in this room would still be in the, in the top five percentile in the world as far as richness goes. We're rich, aren't we? We just don't know it. You say, but hey, I struggle to pay the bills. Yes, but you have a toaster that toasts your bread for you. Most of the world can't afford that. I mean, think about that. You have micro- How many of you have microwaves in your home? You're rich. You know, we're all rich. But here, we have a man who, because of his transformation with Christ, who had always relied on himself to make sure he had all the money he needed and more than what he needed. And, and that was what his life was about, was gaining more and more money so that he could become rich. And now he's saying, I'm just going to the, give it to the poor. And, and he was willing to give enough that they would not elevate him to the status of being rich anymore. And he was okay with that. Transformation. God transformed him into something completely different. Then we read verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Remember, Zacchaeus was an outcast, pushed aside by the crowds, And Jesus says the exact opposite of what the insult of the day was. And I'm sure many times in his life he heard, you are are no son of Abraham. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house because you are a son of Abraham. In a way that many of the people in this this crowd are not. Because they don't get it. Oh yeah, the bloodline's there. They're sons of Abraham in that sense. But see, Abraham, God started something completely different with, with Abraham. It wasn't just about a bloodline. It was about a belief line. It was about faith. And, and so that when we accept Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, you know what the Bible says? We become sons of Abraham. Did you know that you and I are sons of Abraham in a way that many of the people who are genealogically connected to Abraham are not? Because salvation has come to our home. We have welcomed Jesus into our home joyfully and all of a sudden that changes everything now we belong now we have a place and and and, and everything has changed and it's it's completely different and jesus is saying to him you are valued you are loved you belong you are a true son of abraham what a difference he was an outcast he's not an outcast anymore not an outcast at all to the crowd this was a horrible thing for Jesus to say. This was, they couldn't believe Jesus said this. 
And so Jesus turns to the crowd and he explains it. In fact, he, he changes, changes his, right in the, in the middle of this sentence because it says, and Jesus said to him, he's talking to Zacchaeus, he says, today salvation has come to this house. But then the second half of that very same sentence, he's addressing the crowd now. Because he also, he, Zacchaeus, third person now, he also is a son of Aram. He was preaching to the crowd at this point. He is the son of Aram. And then he, then he explains his actions in the same sentence, verse 10. So, uh, we, see, uh, we see this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is saying, I came here looking for the fixer-uppers. I came here looking for the people who would invite me in joyfully. Not the people who thought they deserved to be in my presence. Not for the people in their pride. For the humble who recognize their sins and let me come into their homes and transform them. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Not those who think they're found already. People, I mean, when I look at that, I realize people may give up on you, but God hasn't. You may have given up on yourself because you know your sins better than anyone else does. You know your secret sins, right? And you may have given up on yourself. Oh, I can't be in the presence of God. God hasn't given up on you. God has never, never given up on you. God loves you so much that he is willing to stop everything else and give his undivided attention to you. Why? Because he wants to spend time with you. You know what God wants more than anything? He can create anything he wants. You know what he wants more than anything? He wants you to love him and to receive him joyfully into your life. Wow. Transformation. For application, I'm going to call our application sections, let God renovate you. Let him renew you. That's the applications. And, and I've got four applications that I, I would like to, to, to present, and then we'll close our service. Number one, if you haven't already, receive Christ. In just a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ, if you've never received him into your home, into your life, and maybe, maybe you've thought, well, I'm just not good enough. Maybe if I can get it to become a little bit better, get my church attendance up, or maybe tie a little more and say a few wor- you know, worse words or whatever it might be, ignore all that. I don't care how simple you are. Say, Lord, I invite you. I invite you into my home. I'll let you into my home. I invite him in today, just like Zacchaeus did. Number two, if you've already done that and you know... Uh, and you know that you've accepted uh, Christ to be your Savior. Number two, I would say, let Christ into your messy home. Don't feel like you have to pretend to be a good Christian. Just let God transform you. I mean, it, you don't have to pretend and like, like, okay, I have to come to church on Sunday. and Oh, it's Sunday, I've got to put on a smile. And I've got to dress up nice. And I've got to, don't pretend. It's not about that. Just let God into your life and let him see the mess and a little bit at a time start transforming you. Because I guarantee if you let Jesus in, he's going to change you. He's going to transform you into things. And he's gonna, you're going to have changes in your life that you would never imagine. Amen? Anyone ever been, been there? In fact, I'd say every believer in here could give a testimony. If they were to say, 10 years ago, you wouldn't believe what I was like. Amen? What God's done in my life. Let Christ into your messy home. You'll be amazed at what he, he does. Number three, I think, that we see from this. I just, I just call it let go. And what I mean by this is let go of all of the other concerns. 
Let go of the concerns for money. Let go of the concerns for self-preservation. Let go of, of all of those things. I would say just, just let God provide. That's one of the things that we see that Zacchaeus was transformed into someone who said, I'm not as worried about money. I don't have to take care of myself anymore. God's taking care of me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use what God has given for other things. That, that's a transformation. Most people care about themselves and self-preservation. And Zacchaeus, once transformed, said, I'll give that away. I've got something so much better. Why would I be concerned over a few bucks when I've got God, when I've got Jesus as my friend? Very different. And then lastly, I would say, imitate Christ. You know, this is the message I see from the crowd. You know, the crowd judged people for their sins, right? And, and Jesus did something very different. He just loved them. He, he loved them. You know, if, if someone were to come in these, these doors on a Sunday morning, and, and maybe they're so steeped in sin that it's almost obvious even in the way they appear, would we judge them? Would we make them feel out of place? You know, I, you know, I actually walked into a church one time, and... Uh, and I was wearing a blue shirt and a tie. I was a college student. I was visiting somebody. And I, I went to a church. And I had one of the deacons come up to me and say, How dare you wear a blue shirt on a Sunday? He didn't know me from Adam. You know? Because in his mind, you have to wear a white shirt, which I happen to be wearing today. But you know me well enough to know I don't always wear a white shirt. They come in. How would we receive that person? Say, imitate Christ. Christ would love that person. Now, that doesn't mean we don't call sin, sin. I'm not talking about that. You know, Jesus never did that. Even with the lady at the, at, that was caught in adultery, he, she accepted him and she, he said, go and sin no more. So he still called sin, sin. I'm not talking about that. But what I am saying is that we love the person in spite of that. Like Jesus, who saw this tax collector, this corrupt, greedy man, and in, he saw beyond that and said, here's a man who's hurting Here's a man who's outcast. Here's a man who doesn't belong. And here's a man who's interested in who I am. I'm going to spend time with that man. Could we be the hands and feet of Christ to those people as they come in to our church, as they come into our neighborhoods, and love on them regardless of what their tattoo might say, or regardless of, of what, they, what bad habits they have in their life, or, or, or what words, maybe colorful words, that they might use. Okay? Let's love them from there. Bring them to Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer for a moment. And I just want to ask a couple of questions as we, as we bring our service to a, to a close. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. First of all, if there's anyone here that would say to me, Pastor Dave, I don't think I've ever actually accepted Christ. I've never received him into my home. I, and, and maybe I felt like I, I'm just not good enough to, to be in the presence of Christ. And today you would like to accept Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Would you just raise your hand? Raise it up high. No one else is looking. And just, just, just be, would you raise your hand because I want to give you that opportunity. Last week it was, it was a blessing to see a young man accept uh, Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He came and gave me a hug after the service and gave me great joy to see that. If there's anyone here today, I want to make sure that you have that opportunity. I'm going to keep that invitation open during the, the invitation and even after the service. 
if you want to come talk to me at any point, you want to know for sure that you've accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, come talk to me. Also, for those of you who didn't raise your hand just now because you know for sure you're on your way to heaven, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in any way that the Holy Spirit is leading you. And, and maybe it's just as simple as saying, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm going to let you into my messy home. And, and maybe I haven't been confessing my sins because I just don't want to have a talk with, with a God who actually knows what my sins are. And let him into your messy home. Say, all right, Lord, oh, here, here, come on in. I'm not going to sweep stuff under the rug. Just come in and transform me. And if that's your heart attitude today, I would invite you just come forward. I'm not going to bother you. Just come forward between you and God and pray to God and say, Lord, I'm inviting you into my life. Yes, you've already saved me, but I'm inviting you in and saying you can do whatever you want. Work with me in any way that you want. Maybe it's just you're feeling like you're a burden for others. You're a burden for the lost. And you're saying, I want to go out and imitate the love of Christ to those around me. And maybe, maybe you already are imitating Christ in those ways, but there's a burden on your heart for somebody that, that you've talked to that doesn't know Christ as your Savior. I would invite you to, to come forward and pray for that person. Pray for the salvation of that person as well. Let me pray, and then we'll sing. And I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you showed individual attention to me that day. And I came to fall in love with, with you but only because you first loved me. Lord, I pray that we'd have that same moment for every person in this room and that we would be the hands and feet of Christ so that we could take that to other people who need it as well. And I pray this in your son's precious name.